This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries, official sponsor of Faction 46 and Nice Motorsports Truck Series teams. Forney offers versatile welding and plasma cutting machines, along with a full line of metalworking accessories for beginners, do-it-yourselfers, and professionals. Forney has everything you need for your next metalworking project. Shop for these top-of-the-line products at ForneyIND.com, that's F-O-R-N-E-Y-I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you. Hey there, NASCAR fans. Have you got your copy of the latest edition of NASCAR Pole Position Print Magazine? If not, there's no better time than now to subscribe at PolePositionMag.com. NASCAR Pole Position is the only print magazine covering NASCAR. Officially licensed by NASCAR, NASCAR Pole Position Magazine is published throughout the NASCAR season, and each edition is an instant collector's item, backed with great feature stories and photography. The magazine is even mailed to you in a poly bag for those who love to collect NASCAR memorabilia. At PolePositionMag.com, you can even find past issues available to purchase. Get your subscription to NASCAR Pole Position and get great NASCAR content delivered straight to your mailbox throughout the season. Learn more at PolePositionMag.com. That's PolePositionMag.com. Hey y'all, Rick Houston here, and I want to tell you about my new show, the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast. I've partnered up with the state of North Carolina Department of Natural and Cultural Resources to help uncover the history behind moonshining mountain boys, professional wheelmen, and the backwoods and city lights of the Tar Heel State. In the first episode, I sat down with Winston Kelly at the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a little behind-the-scenes gossip about Junior Johnson's engineering skills. He's got two things in his hand, pipe wrench and channel lock pliers, and they weren't new. They yeah. had been, they had been yeah. around the block a time or two. What's so, the first deal they built, I bet? No, no, you know, you could, I think they were, they had, the, the pliers had been red before, but paint had worn off. And in the second episode, I talked to a professional hillbilly, a.k.a. Dr. Daniel Pierce of UNC Asheville, to find out the real history of moonshiners and their battles with the revenuers. He wrote about one of his experience of trying to chase down this uh, this bootlegger and this this souped-up car, and he, he complained that the government gave him these piece-of-crap, cheapo cars and that, that were really no match, but he thought he was doing pretty good. And then the guy just hits it and just takes off and practically disappeared. But then the guy makes a bootleg turn uh, and comes back towards him. And it, it, as he said, it was a game of chicken and I was a chicken. And so he ran off the road. And actually he was the guy who, who caught Junior Johnson at his daddy's steal when Junior got tangled up in a, in a barbed wire fence. <laughs> So check out the Moonshine and Motorsports Racing Podcast available on YouTube, DailyDownForce.com, and all of your favorite podcasting platforms. And be sure to check out my regular show on NASCAR history, the Scene Bought Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Please truck, go ahead and roll. Hello, my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, your source for all things NASCAR history. Presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. He was an apprentice to Carpenter, building engine crates. And every time John Holman passed him, he'd beg John Holman for put him in a race car. You know how Dad was. He goes, well, Dan, how, how are we running? He said, Harry, he's driving it like he ain't got money to go home. He came back and finished second. And years later, when I worked for him, I said, Kale, how hard was it to drive that car? He said, boy, I had to turn that car with both arms and both legs. Dale was in the bar, and he says, Dale, Junior's out here peeing in the pool. <laughs> and Dale said, well, probably every kid out there is doing that. And Kel said, yeah, but they ain't doing it from the high dive. The day NASCAR and all of us associated in any way with NASCAR forget its past, that's the day we don't have any future. Hello, everyone. I'm Steve Wade. And my name is Rick Houston, and welcome to the Scene Vault Podcast, presented by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace, and a track that truly does care about NASCAR history. And listeners, I know that we promised you a Buddy Arrington interview, the first episode of 2024. That's still on tap, but very sadly, we lost Kel Yarbrough just a couple of days ago. And Steve, we just felt like we had to do something to honor Kale. Well, no doubt about it, Rick. When you lose such a talent, such a star, and dare I say such a legend as Kale Yarbrough and what he has meant to NASCAR through all these years, you just have to step back and say, no, we have got to do something on this man. Well, I know that he was a Daytona 500 winner. He was a Southern 500 champion. He won three Winston Cup championships. He's now a member of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. But, Steve, let's face it, he was on the Dukes of Hazard Not once, <laughs> but twice. That's right. <laughs> and I was very privileged to be with him in his motel room, Tom Higgins and I. He invited us over to watch him in that show. It was truly a lot of fun. I made a very good story out of that. So what we've done to honor Kale, we gathered together one of our infamous roundtable discussions. And it was, you know, Steve, it was a little bit of a ordeal to pull everything together sure so was. quickly. Yeah, sure was. But it was worth it. Absolutely, Rick. And tell us who they were. NASCAR Hall of Famer Waddell Wilson, Lauren Rainier, who is the son of Kale's former team owner, Harry Rainier, yep. John Dotson, who worked with Kale at MC Anderson's, and then also Jamie Bishop, our friend and longtime supporter of the podcast, who actually worked for Kel Yarbrough Motorsports when Kel won his very last race as a team owner with John Andretti at Daytona in the summer of 1997. So we got four guys that either work with Kel or for Kel, and they know him very, very well. Perfect combination. And Steve, the perspective that we got, oh, man, yeah. it, <laughs> I don't believe I could have planned the conversation any better because 
you know, when we do one of these roundtables, you know, you never know quite what you're going to get, but everybody had their own specific relationship right. with Kale, and they brought that into this discussion. Not only that, Rick, but as it is with many of our roundtables, there were some great, great stories that the public didn't know about. Steve, we've seen new life over the break on Patreon, so we've got some help on Patreon. I don't have the notes right in front of me to list everybody, but I will get to that next week, and maybe we'll just mention them twice or something. That'd be good. (laughs) (laughs) And as a reminder, this show is not affiliated in any way, shape, form, or fashion with American City Business Journal's owner of the same brand. All right, so first of all, if everybody would just go around the table and introduce yourselves and basically tell your relationship with Kale when you worked with him, in what capacity and so forth. So, what else? Well, I worked with Kale um, as a crew chief. I did not know, but you worked with him both with Rainier and then later at his team. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah, we had two relationships. It was a lot of fun while to working with them. All right. And your name is Waddell Wilson. Waddell Wilson. <laughs> All right. I'm Jamie Bishop. I worked with Kale um, from 1992 until they closed the doors at Kale Yarborough Motorsports. I was a weekend guy, but uh, there was only like 19 of us working there, so Everybody had to do their part. I'm John Dodson, and I worked with Kale uh, when he was at MC Anderson's in uh, 82, 81, 82, 83, uh, 82. Then 83, he went over to Rainier, and then I worked with uh, Waddell and Lauren there for a little while. Uh, I'm Lauren Rainier. I didn't really work with Kale other than my dad owned the team, and I was just kind of a teenager hanging around and trying not to get in Waddell's way. <laughs> That's really what I was doing. That was important. Waddell, Waddell, how, how well did he do on that? Stay out your good. way. He, uh, he had a lot of questions. Yeah, a lot of questions. But, but he was a good kid. I can't say nothing but good about him. Yeah. Well, obviously we're here to tell some Kale Yarbrough stories. We lost him a couple of days ago. And my goal is for you guys to handle this i want you guys to tell stories about kale what made him who he was and what made him so successful on the racetrack so you guys take it away tell it tell whatever stories you want to tell about kale well i probably know much or more than anyone about him as i can remember when i was working for home on moody and he was in the building. He was an apprentice carpenter building engine crates. And every time John Holman passed him, he'd beg John Holman for put him in a race car. So finally, Ford Motor Company decided they'd take him to Asheville Weevil Speedway, him and Benny Parsons, and try him out. And when it was all over, Kale got the job. And the first ride he got in was with Banjo Matthews. And I remember being at Daytona in the July race, and I mean, he took that, that Ford to the front, and it blew up. But, you know, he was, 
you knew when he got on the scene he was he was something to be reckoned with so you knew him well before he got established oh we became friends you know on the weekends when we ever got off on the weekend we'd water ski his he lived down on lake wiley and my family and i'd go down and meet with him and and uh, spend the afternoon with him on sunday how badly did he want to be in that race car you said every time john hallman came by (laughs) he was begging to get it i never seen anybody desire like him to want to drive a race car and then he proved it once he got there. I always thought he's a little. I got a cousin like Kale, that, that similar to the way Kale is. But to me, he he. I never heard him say a thing about any other team, anybody. He never complained when I was around him. He was laser focused, like he had blinders on. He just did his job, and, and, and he really couldn't tell you that much about the car that I remember, except, well, I guess I'll pull my gloves up a little bit tighter. You know, we ain't <laughs> quite there, but uh, he'll do it. And uh, I remember at Talladega. No, it wasn't Talladega. It was a different track, but th- he made that comment. He said, I'll pull my gloves up a little tighter. We'll be ready for him. And that was the way he was. Well, I tell you what, I worked with a lot of drivers and around them, worked with them as crew chief, build engines, and uh, he ranked to the top. You yes. Know, there was nobody like him. I mean, you, he was the easiest <clears throat> man on earth to work with. And he'd come to me at times, he said, now, well, don't give it to me if you don't want me to use it. <laughs> don't do anything, it'll slow it down. Yeah. And that was his motto. That's the way he was. Yeah. And the sad thing about it, in 82, at Talladega, no, it was 81. He come to me and asked me about driving a race car. I thought he was joking with me. So, you know, I just shunned it off and didn't think about it. The very next year, the same race at Talladega, he said, damn it, what the hell, I want to drive that race car. I said, you kidding? <laughs> I said, well, if you want to drive a race car, I guarantee you Harry Rainier will hire you. Yep. And well, Harry when... come to the racetrack and he said, I told Harry, I said, I'll hire you a driver. And he looked at me like, you what? <laughs> I actually have a funny story on uh, note to that. So you must have given him our home phone number. Yeah. Seriously. You must because I was about 17 maybe at the time. And um, I'm at home, and the fo- this, is, this was 1982. And the right. phone rings, and I pick it up, and it's in the afternoon, like after school. I pick the phone up, and uh, Hello? He said, hey, it's Kelly Yarborough. Is, uh, is your dad there? I'm like, no. He said, I'd like, he goes, I'd like to talk to him about driving his race car. So you must have given him the yeah. number. I said, Kale, I'll make sure that he calls you tonight. That was the oddest thing, you know, somebody his caliber to come and want to drive your race car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was shocked with it the first time. And then the next year, you mm-hmm. know, he came by. And, yep. But I'll never forget to let your dad, you know, he was as happy about it as I was. Absolutely. He did. He did the same thing when he was at juniors, leaving juniors. He did the same thing to David Ift and MC. He kept telling David. He said, "Tell MC I'll drive that car. I'll mm-hmm. drive that car." Yeah. So when we got him, and you're talking about '81 at Talladega, and '82 at Talladega, that's that's the last year with MC. That was, and that's when he come in '83. But in '82 right. at Talladega, we were there, and uh, I've told this story before about our spoiler was slotted on the back. And uh, we made big washers on the spoiler. We qualified fourth. And we were going through inspection and, uh, and uh, went through inspection. They measured the spoiler. 
So we was pushing to the gas pumps, and all of us, me and Ed and Barry, had quarter-inch drive ratchets, and we undone the spoiler and slid that thing up an inch <laughs> and tightened it back. Cheaters. And and, and Dale Lemon told on us. He told on us. And uh, uh, we're pretty sure it was Dale Lemon. So anyway, they called us and said, run get a run get a drill, fill that thing up with pop rivets. And so, uh, Gasway's standing there. So we, we put pop rivets all over the back. He said, don't ever try to do that again. So we said, yes, sir. He said, well, I'll put you all out of racing. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went on to the gas pumps and put it on the line. Well, they never measured it back. So we still had it up an inch when we put all the rivets in there. <laughs> and my daddy told Kale, my daddy bet some guy $2,000 that Kale would lead the first lap. And he told Kale, and Kale said, I'll get it for you. <laughs> Kale led the first lap. And then when he got out of that car, we started fourth and finished fourth. He got out of that car. My daddy was standing there. He, you know, he went over to my daddy, Johnny Dotson. He said, give me my half. I get a thousand of that. <laughs> and that sounds that like hell, don't that 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 hell. Hell. <laughs> He said, where's my half at? <laughs> True story. Yeah. All right. So all of you raced with Kale. What was it like racing against Kale? You did that the most. Yeah. I mean, there's Jolly. There's you know the Brinson with him. Well, I don't think you come at that long. But anyway, there's Pearson and Allison, and you know you always worried about him. Kale was always one of his threat. There was a few cars you worried about, it, and that was one of them. Well, three years in a row, you didn't race against him. You raced against everybody else. He was out there, won three championships <laughs> yeah, in a row. Yeah, yeah. So there's three years you didn't race against him. <laughs> I know when tough. he come drive our race car, you know, in '70 or '82. With Benny Parson, we were the first one to break 200 mile an hour in mm-hmm. Talladega. Mm-hmm. And then going to Daytona, that winter was in the wind tone, and uh, we naturally wanted to be the first one at Daytona to break 200. And uh, so they figured the calculation on the drag we had in the wind tunnel and then the horsepower I had, they said, that car to run 203 mile an hour. Mm-hmm. I remember saying they were working on that car. And, yeah, and anyway, so. We get to Daytona and 45 flat was 200 mile an hour you know, on the stopwatch. And Kale's out there running 45, 70 and 80. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with that race car? Is that all it's going to do? And I'd always been used to, you know, up the previous drivers like Baker and, you know, and them. I mean, the first, second lap, you knew exactly what you had. But Kale's out there sandbagging. I didn't know he was going to do that to me. And in passing the day before we qualified, he said, what if? Quit worrying about that car. It's okay. Don't touch it. He said, I ain't never been in nothing this fast. He said, this thing got enough horsepower when it's going down the back stretch. He said, when it hits them hump bumps, it spins the tires. <laughs> Golly. And he said, you're going to turn three, and it's like you holding a needle and me trying to thread it. So we get ready to qualify. And go out there, and the spoiler, you could put it anywhere you wanted at that time. There wasn't no rule on it. And then, plus, that Chevrolet was a notchback, so it had a lot of, it had a lift anyway. So I had it down at 20 degrees. He pushed it down even more and gets in it. So the first lap, he run 44.70 something. A guy gave me a tape on it, and I lost it. But anyway, the second lap, he, and they was timing it in, interval around the racetrack from the tower. And that guy said, and you guys think that's something? He's on a cliff right now, going down the back straight at 203. 
-hmm. And then he went into the current and she flew with him. Dick Beatty picked me up on pit road. We went up there to the car. The car was back on its wheels. Mm -hmm. And went in the infield care center and they had him in there. And he looked up at me and he, like a whip up, he said, well, you done everything right, but one thing, I'm like, what was that? He said, you didn't put the controls in it so I could fly it. <laughs> <laughs> I know he asked the guard, uh, the, not the guard, the, the record driver. First thing he asked him was, how fast was my first lap? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah did I go 200? Anyway, it was over 200. <laughs> yeah. And then if he'd have made it back around it, that lap at 203, World he'd have been on the pole by five mile an hour because the, yeah. the pole car was only 198 mile an hour. Yeah. Right. Come in the garage there. Well, one other thing. There was a funny side note to that. I guess Junior Johnson come over and looked at the car. He looked at the car. Oh, yeah. I don't know what you're going to tell. Yeah. He looked at it, and you know how Junior was, and Junior said, well, anything that fast or to turn over. That's what he said. <laughs> yeah. But come back in the infield, back in the garage area, and Bill France got to him, and he said, what if you'll fix that race car? You know, you can work on it 24 hours a day. I'll send a guard here with you guys, and then you have to start the 125 on Thursday, and you can run a couple laps, come back in, work on it, and then Harry Vanier come to me and said, my jet's out here, and came at Farms was out there, jet was there, and Chevrolet called him one, if anything we needed, they'd have it down there, but, mm -hmm. you know, Kale had me hire three of his guys from M3 Anderson, and they come to me and said, we ain't gonna work on that race car. We're gonna be at happy hour in an hour or two. Mm -hmm. And that was Barry so, and Ed and Pete. Yeah, <laughs> and that was, that was one of the biggest mistakes I ever make is not picking that race car. I mean, it bugs me today. That's one of those two of them that bugs me, and that's one of them. But anyway, you know, we, you, the Leonard Wood was the best one. He came to me, and he said, what else? He, and there was tears coming out of his eyes. You're not going to fix that race car. He said, you've been on the pole four years in a row with different drivers and different cars, and you're not going to fix that race car. But like Junior said, when anything goes that fast, it's all to turn over. <laughs> but you pulled a backup out and won the Daytona 500. Yeah. Yeah, that was, you know, we run the Pontiac Le Mans in in the 500. And we only qualified it on Monday at 195, but we was no effort put into it. To, right. But we still had the record at Daytona for the fastest 500 miles recorded at that mm -hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I have a question I want to ask. If you, you just said that if – you had made it back around if Kale had made it back around that you would have won that pole by five miles an hour how bad would that car have been torn down after qualifying or do you even want to think about that well let me tell you something <laughs> <laughs> you didn't work with john holman like i did i worked for john holman for 10 years and he'd come to me and he'd put that big finger in my chest and he said why do you let me tell you something if you get caught cheating, I'll fire you. He didn't do that once. He done it several times. Well, I certainly knew, knowing that man, that he would fire me if I got caught cheating. Well, I'm not going to get caught cheating because I need a job. And and furthermore, I didn't want to cheat anyway because I didn't want to have to look over my shoulder and worry about that. So, you know, the car was as legal as it could be. You won't believe all the times we got inspected, you know. Yeah. I mean, Dick Beatty in 1980... Was getting ready for the Daytona 500, which Buddy Baker was driving a race car, and he he that morning he paid me to the garage, here and went in the office and he used to run everybody out and he said, "Sit down over." There. He said, "I want to tell you something. Ain't nobody wants to run against that car today." 
I said, Dick, we're not doing anything wrong. He said, yeah, I know. He said, I wish people come and go through inspection when you see how legal a car really is. But no, you know, there were so many things you could, you, you know, do to a race car at that time. You know, you had rolling resistance, you had aerodynamics, you had horsepower. And all three of them contributed to the car going fast. And you worked on all three of them. You, and you didn't leave nothing unturned. You talked about racing against Kale. I, I always thought you had to race against Waddell's engines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the truth. I mean, that's how good his engines were, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were at – we talked about 82, Daytona 82. Then Kale wins it in 83 for you. In 82, I was at MC's. That's when Bobby's bumper came off, and he won the 500, and we ran second in MC yeah. Anderson Valvoline car. Kale radioed in, wasn't a third, a quarter into the race. Caution come out. And he said, you know, everything's fine, but I can't get Bobby off me. It's like he's right, trying to back into me mm. on a caution lap. He's trying to knock his bumper off. That's right. Because they tested with that bumper off, no. and they won the Daytona 500 with that bumper no, off. No, let me tell before. you about that bumper but, deal. But, but anyway, <laughs> that was – Kale told us – before it ever happened, Kale said, Bobby's all over me. He's like he's trying to run into me because he was on caution. He was behind him. He said, he's, he's slamming the brakes on like I'm going to hit him and – and uh, ended up beating us, and we ran second in the 500. What else getting ready to tell you? Yeah, this let came me from. tell you. The year before, Bobby was driving our car at Talladega. Yeah, and we got in a in a wreck, and well, didn't keep wipe us out or nothing, but it knocked the bumper off of the car. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up winning the race. He remembered that, so they had that bumper stuck on our pop rivet. Yeah, that's imagine. it. Because they 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 knocked it off a little ways, and then ripped it off when they come on pit road. They took it the rest of the way off on pit road. Yeah, and that was a metal bumper. That was dangerous. Took my Daytona 500 ring right there. There's a story to the backup car you used at Daytona after the flip. Was it show car? Well, we had used it. That's what we was using it as a show car at that time. Yeah, we we wasn't going to race it no more until that happened, and that was the only car we we had left. So, you know. But it had been tested the month before oh and it was every bit it was the car that that benny went 200 in right yeah it was that car from the year before so there's a big long story about that that the car was at a hardy's at uh new smyrna or wherever waddell yeah. can tell you right now that car was at the shop and greg and who roger legion yeah roger legion brought it down to daytona in so, a pickup truck in a, yeah right in a flat trailer so it was a show car but you know, but, no, well, it was a full-fledged race car. A, we were just going to yeah. use it as a show car. Right. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. I mean, it was. It wasn't that. 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 That's like a fishing story. That thing keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well when Kale we went to just, Atlanta in '83, that was not a full. That was another race car we had because we were short on cars. Yeah. We wrecked at Rockingham, wrecked at Daytona. And and we, that car we won Atlanta with come from it was being used as a show car. I no, it was actually going to be it was going to be used as a show car. I actually talked to Mark Bush about that, who yeah. was a show car manager. Yeah, and it was in the rotation to become a show car. Yeah, and they took it out of the rotation. There you go. Fixed it, put all the right stuff back on yeah. it, and then running low on cars that year. After hey, that. you remember back in February when I was down there testing AJ you know yeah. come and drove that car that's right and then and then your dad and AJ come to me and want to know if I couldn't run the two cars at Daytona so I don't have a parts and pieces and the manpower the to do it yeah so AJ Foyt tested that, that Pontiac at Daytona because uh, Kale wanted to feel the remember he wanted to feel that Monte Carlo in a draft right so remember, I remember that you, you there's pictures of those two cars 
running yeah, nose seen. to tail, you know, out there. I remember that well. Yeah. And remember, remember, Kale actually drove when we tested. Kale drove the uh, the Pontiac first, right? And then you put him into Monte Carlo, and he said, "Well, I think the Monte Carlo is going to be faster." Oh, that thing oh, was yeah. a rocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah he be, liked it. That day. Yeah, right. He had and, a choice, mm. right? And then he said, "I want to feel the, I want to feel the Monte Carlo in the draft." And so then that's when AJ, you had AJ. Yeah. I mean, I remember him. Duke going out there and, you know, that was back in the era when you had to track by yourself. It was a private test. Now, was the car actually on display at a Hardy's? No, the car was at the shop. No. The car was at the shop. Yeah. What else can tell you that? Yeah. Had shop. it ever been used as a – you'd, you'd, you'd taken it some pictures. It was going to be used as a great uh, show car, if, you know, if Hardy's needed it for a show car. Right. But you'd take – it had taken some pictures because there's actually a picture – I don't know if it's that car or the road course car that you used it. It had got set aside. It got yeah because we were running be a show because we were now. running Chevrolets. So it was classified as a show car. It just hadn't been to any shows. That's we're right. done with this car. Well, you know, this is the ultimate. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. <laughs> exactly. You know, because it would make for a much better story if you go, if you went if to Kel, Hardy's and got if it. If Kel flips. <laughs> And you don't have a backup, so you go down to the local Hardy's down oh, the street yeah. from Daytona. Yeah. That's why I told that way. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not the story. That's not the story. That's, that's why right. Hardy signed on for two more years. Yeah, Lord, right. That is not the story. Yeah. Kale was just plugging his sponsor. You know? I'm going yeah. down to the Hardy's to get the car. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure you guys have seen the photo of him just starting to flip. I guess all four tires are off the ground. But he's looking out the right side. Oh, I've window. got that picture. I've seen it yesterday. I looked at. Was that just an accident, or was he honestly and truly trying to steer out of that? He was looking some way. He was looking what he's going to hit. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it ba- it makes for a better story if he was trying to drive out of that. Well, you can see he's looking to his right. Oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah, was. You can see yeah. his head where it's yeah. burned. Very, very clearly. You know, Cal had those great years with Junior. There's an old story that goes around in my day that said if a vastly wealthy businessman bought every piece you need to build a top-flight car, the best possible car anyone could build, and he put it in a warehouse, and he went to all the drivers and said, any one of you guys can build that car from the ground up, you can have it, you can race it. Tim Richmond, Buddy Baker, and Kelly Yarbrough but wedge himself in the door trying to get out. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I always thought that Kale was successful with Junior for a lot of reasons, but the fact that he didn't interfere with Junior and his bandits was probably one of the best traits he had working with him. Do you agree yeah. with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, i never seen him do anything. i yeah. never seen him try or attempt to do anything except adjust his belts and put his gloves on. <laughs> but really, I mean, i never seen him I didn't either. He, you talk know, about he did, the engine. He didn't home and move. He didn't want to know nothing about a race car. He just wanted to drive He it. wanted to drive, right. That's and why he, he was building no crates. some loose, because I remember we was in Michigan, and I can say Lauren was there that day. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the week before we leave, you know, we had this engineer from Ford Motor Company working for us. And he came to me and said, well, then let me set that race car up this week. I said, okay. So I said, I'm in here building, building engines. I'm, I've got a handful anyway. So anyway, he sets the race car up. We go to Michigan. We qualify. And during the race, it's not running very good. 
And anyway, Bobby Allison come up behind us to lap us, and the caution comes out. And the worst thing Kale ever said to me, he said, damn it, what else? Fix this race car. <laughs> and Harry Rainier, Lauren's dad, got me by the shirt collar, and he said, what else? Fix that race car. And I remember we come in and, and put a full donut in the right front spring. You never do that, not a full one. Yep. But I went to the extreme with it. And then, they, then he's at the back of the field because we were working out on pit road. So he goes through the field and up to the lead he goes. Yep. Well, I'm looking, I'm saying, dang, you know, we can't make it on gas. And Bobby can. But then halfway through that run, the caution came out again. And then we was able to just, and then he, he went out there and won big won Bobby won the race. What year was that? 83. 83. Yeah. All right, we won it in 82, mm-hmm. too, because that's the day it rained. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a rain delay, and he was in MC Anderson's car. I remember it was a long rain delay, and we thought, well, they're going we're gonna to be back Monday. And we got it in, and we was in Victor Lane. I got the picture in the dark mm-hmm. in Victor Lane, and that's when uh, he won the race, and Daryl got mad and tried to spin him out after the race. And Daryl spun himself out and got in the mud, Kale calls in and says, uh, boys, we might have to fight our way out of here. He's going up the backstretch after he won the race. <laughs> What's wrong? He said, Daryl's mad. He said, I guess he's mad at me. He doesn't spun out in the mud over here. He said, we might have to fight him. I thought that was one <laughs> of the thought, funniest things i ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I thought, well, if we got to fight him, I'm glad Kale's on our team. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then that, let me tell you the rest of the story. So at the time, I was only the stagger guy. So I would drive to Kale's house in Timminsville, and he had the little grass airport. The race team was in Savannah, so I didn't work full-time. I was just a stagger guy on the weekends. I was working at a, a mechanical contracting place in Royal Hall where we grew up, learning my fabrication skills. And uh, so I'd go and go to Kales and fly with him to Michigan and Dover and Pocono, <laughs> me and him and his pilot, when he let the pilot fly it, and, uh, and Betty Joe. And... Uh, I would drive to Kales, fly to the races, fly back to Kales on Sunday nights, and drive back home and go to work on Monday mornings. Well, this race was delayed, and I remember flying back home, and it was lightning all around us all night. And we landed, and the sun was coming up. Now, Betty Joe wasn't with us at that race. I just remember it was me and Kale and his pilot. So we landed on that little grass airstrip, same one where the lights went out that time, and he held a flashlight in his eyes to land his, in his mouth to land that airplane. That's how he landed his airplane with a flashlight in the dark. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got done, pulled up a plane. He, he went over and got a little Mazda truck. You know, he's got the Mazda dealership. Pulled over there, and the truck was running, and, and me and him was standing there, and I thanked the pilot. And uh, when he pulled up, this hot beer, this beer, can of beer, was rolling around in the back of his truck. Now, this is 24 hours after we got up to go to the racetrack in Michigan. Won the race, flew all night. He saw that hot beer back there as a Bud Light, and it's expanded where it got so hot. He said, oh, man, there's a beer. <laughs> you know, 24 hours later, and he got that hot beer and popped it and drunk about half. He said, God, that's good. About made me throw up. I said, <laughs> I said that right there is a tough man right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, then finally go home and go to bed. I still had three hours to drive back home. <laughs> that's know? funny. Yep. So 1983 and 84, you win the Daytona 500 on the last lap. Obviously, you couldn't see anything from where you were in the pit. But what was it like watching those last few laps from the pits? Did you know 
what he was planning or had that been discussed or well you pretty much knowing kale and you know the way he'd been driving race cars and he knew all about the draft and how to how to work it so you know and he he was a perfectionist at it. and whenever he come out of that backstretch he lined himself up to pass and when he come back out of four and you know where we could see him he had a big lead mm-hmm. you know yeah. he he so. never took his he always waited till he come off a of two mm-hmm. always yeah he come off a of two and most of the time he kept you beside him on the backstretch because when you go into three, the air off this car pushes this other outside car. And then somebody comes with him, and they're racing side by side, and Kale's out here in front, just like 83. Well, if you remember, he was going past Donnie Allison, and Donnie run him all the way in the grass because right, right, Kale was going to be gone. Right. He did the same thing to Baker in 83, and, and then Baker got side by side and Dale in 84. He always kept you beside him. You know, mm-hmm. at that time, he, he was but, definitely the master of the sleep. Yeah, shot. you wanted yeah, him at the, him at Daytona. Nobody That's who better. you wanted. He had him down pat. He, he put him down time and time again. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. I remember being on top of the truck at Daytona, uh, clocking cars, and uh, I don't think I don't think it was already after we had Rusty Wallace in the twenty-seven car. So old Milwaukee, he was driving for you in the twenty-eight car. And I was over at him at uh, uh, Blue Max, and we had been through Tim Richmond, and we had Rusty Wallace. And I climbed up on the truck clocking cars, and it was just me and him up there. And remember when he'd get up on the truck, he'd always oh, yeah. take his uniform off and sit up there with no shirt on. And, cl- and, and he might clock cars, and he was actually clocking cars, sitting up there in a chair. And I just climbed up there clocking cars, and we started talking. He said, what's the difference in Tim Richmond and Rusty Wallace? I'll never forget him asking me that. <laughs> and uh, – I said, well, Rusty, like you talked about a while ago, if you put this car in there, who could build it from the ground up? Him and Mark Martin and Richard Childress and Dale Earnhardt could all build that car and go out and drive it. Tim Richmond couldn't. And he was more like, he wanted to be a movie star, and he even made comments, you know, I'm just going to drive for a while. Well, when you're a race team, you want somebody that's going, you know. And I told him, I said, Rusty is 110%. You know, he knows all about this car. He knows about shocks and setups. And Kale said, Rusty's got it in his heart, ain't he? I said, that's it right there. And he said, he's got it in his heart, what he wants to do. And that's what Kale, that's what, how he thought of it. So I'll never forget that. Hey, race fans. John Dodson here from NASCAR Technical Institute. NASCAR Tech is open and enrolling, with classes starting every three to six weeks. In our 48-week automotive technology program, students learn everything from vehicle electronic technology to diagnostics and drivability. And as our exclusive educational provider for NASCAR, we offer a 15-week NASCAR elective, where students learn engines, fabrication, aerodynamics, pit crew essentials, and more. NASCAR Tech also offers 36-week welding and CNC machining training programs so you can choose the path that best fits your career goals. Ready to see how you can get started? Visit uti.edu slash NASCAR today. NASCAR Technical Institute prepares graduates to work as entry-level automotive service technicians. Some graduates who take NASCAR-specific electives also may have job opportunities in racing-related industries. NASCAR Tech is an educational institution and cannot guarantee employment or salary. 
right, so 1984 Firecracker 400 at Daytona. This iconic last few laps with Kale and Richard, and the the finish photo. Well, the white flag photo <laughs> is this great side by side shot of Kale and Richard. But then something happens on the white flag lap, and Kale comes in early. Now, whose fault was that? Was that a crew chief call, or was that no. a driver call? No, he's whenever he's headed down pit road, I said the race is not over. He said it's for me. Ah, uh, that's what he said. Really? Yeah, he said it is for me. Do you remember that? Yeah, and it's funny. I remember talking to him. Me and Dad were leaving and talking to him, and he said, "Yeah, I just screwed up. I thought thought it was over." Well, I could, I told him. I said, "Race is not over, Cal." He said, "Yeah, it is for me though." Yeah, that's what he come back on me with. Wow. Yeah. He didn't say much on the radio, did he? No, he wasn't bigger then. Uh-uh. Not need very little words. i tell you what. He's some, you know, Cal Yarborough up compared to all the people that I worked with from the whole Moody days on. There wasn't no human like him to work with. Uh-uh. He didn't want to. He was not going to tell you how to build an engine. He wasn't going to tell you how to set up a race car. He just wanted to drive it. Yeah. And then, he, like I said, he'd tell me, said, just don't do anything to slow it down. And if you don't want me to use it, don't give it to me. But he was a prince to work with. You yeah, knew, yeah. And the next thing you knew, he was going to give it everything he had. Yeah. He wasn't going to be out there loafing. He's going to be out there going as hard as it'd go. It's, it's funny you say that. So we were walking into the racetrack, me and my dad, in it's either 83 or 84, and it was actually Michigan. Um, and we ran into Dan Ford. And you know how dad was. He goes, well, Dan, how, how are we running? He said, Harry, he's driving it like he ain't got money to go home. <laughs> That's what he well, said. He said he's driving it like well, he ain't got money to get well, home. Well, you know, he acted like that his whole life. He yeah. was tight as a banjo string. You know what I mean? I, I commend him for it, but, yeah. he, you know, he, he didn't he, – he probably didn't come from a whole lot, and then he, he saved and – Well, tight as a banjo string. I want to ask Jamie – Working for him, yeah. Was he that way? I mean, I, oh, good yeah. or bad? Oh, he was. We would have bologna sandwiches, bologna and tomato sandwiches in his motel room, and he would tell stories. Mm-hmm. And we all thought that was cool, but I know it was that was in his budget. That's why he 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 didn't want to <laughs> yeah. take us to Park Seafood or wherever in Daytona. We were going to sit in that room and yeah. and have sandwiches. And I mean, he would do cookouts before Darlington and um, fish fries and. You know, I, you know, I know he didn't have much of a budget for uh, taking us to fancy places. And I got a funny story about that. We were we were in Sonoma, and we'd just gotten a new crew chief. Ken Glenn came from Roush. And we went to some fancy place. Kale wasn't there. He said, boys, you eat, drink, anything you want. And we we followed orders. <laughs> we ate, and it, the, the bill comes. And he turned white, and he says, I can't turn this into kale. And we didn't have much money. So we had to take about all the money that we had carried for the trip to pony up to pay that bill because he didn't want to turn that bill into kale Yarborough. <laughs> that's, um, that's the truth right there. And, you know. Uh, you talk about his fish fries? Yeah. So we played the guitars. Me and my buddy David Petty would go with me, and uh, me and Barry to the races and stuff, and we played the guitars in the hotel at night. Well, Kale staying in the hotel with us. He's like, y'all playing the guitars? Yeah, so we guitar and banjo, and we play and sing. So, his Talladega, 
he said, we're going to play music tonight. Yeah. So uh, he said, he said, well, get back to the hotel. I'll take you and David. We'll go get us something to eat and come back and play music. And everybody's like, Kel's taking y'all to eat? <laughs> and we went to a fish place because Kel was a master of getting somebody else to buy, you know. He bought, he, that's how much he loved music. And we'd go, go eat, went to eat, come back, stopped and got two or three cases of Bud Light, filled the bathtub up with ice and Bud Light in the hotel room. Ron Bouchard was in the room. Everybody was come by the room, leave the doors open. This is when you, you know, motel. You know, you drive your car up to the mm-hmm. Talladega. Two o'clock in the morning, Kale's sitting there drinking them Bud Lights, singing to the top of his head, <laughs> singing I'll Fly Away. And his favorite song was I Want to Hire a Wino to Decorate My Home. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all do that one for me. Y'all do that one. And he loved, I don't know if people know how much he loved old-time music like that and singing. And then he invited me and David to come to the Fish Fry when we run the Southern 500 and play at his dealership. So we played back there where the lifts and all that were, had fish fry, and he sat there and sang all night and then won the Southern 500 the next day. And he had cheap entertainment with you, right? Yeah, it was free. (laughs) I'll buy y'all the beer and we got to fish. Y'all come, we'll be there. And then uh, that night we went out after the Southern 500 and went back out to his house and we played some more. You know, yeah, he loved to he loved singing and 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 like that, but nobody knew it. You know, no, but he sure he's did. the ringleader. He wanted to be right in the middle. Y'all play this, y'all play that, and he loved the old old songs like that. People don't know that about him. <laughs> well, that's another side. As much as we talk, and everybody talked about how he was tight with the dollar. He otherwise he was very generous. So I can remember, yeah, three or four writers and me. Uh, went to his house one time. He was taking us around the house and showing us everything. And he had this nice bar with a tap on it. Yeah. All right. And he poured us all one. And, he, and then after that, he you would us. remember that, wouldn't oh, you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect it. But he said, All right, I done showed you where it is. Help yourself anytime. Well, that didn't sound like the hell y'all brother everybody was telling me. No. Now, I'll tell you another story. Several years later, me and Tom Higgins. Get invited to his room to watch him in the Dukes of Hazzard. Remember, he was yeah. in the Dukes mm-hmm. of Hazzard. Oh, yeah. And so we were sitting there watching it with him, and he had a big old cooler set out there. Bud Light. in ice in it. Yeah, Bud Light. Yeah. He said, Now, I done showed you where it is. I don't have to share, you know, serve it anymore. Yeah. Same thing he said several years ago. Mm-hmm. He didn't change in that respect when it came to hospitality. No. That was a funny story. He was more like that when you got a Bud Light in him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you got a Bud Light in him, he was, you know. But he would have to racetrack. I remember Pocono. We all went back to the hotel, sitting in the bar at the Holiday Inn there. And here he come. He sat right there with you and get a couple beers in him, talking about stories of him and Buddy Baker and yeah. things like that. And that's the kill that a lot of people rarely got to see. You know, you get a couple Bud Lights in him, and he'd like telling stories and singing songs. He was funny, too. I mean, like, oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I, I remember funny. one time at Daytona, somebody walked up and said, Kale, can I, can I get a hat? <laughs> Kale said, the hat man will be here on Thursday. <laughs> so I was like. <laughs> he told he was at an event with, uh, with Dale Earnhardt. He was. He, he told the story about Dale Earnhardt. He said, come in the bar at Daytona, and uh, Dale was in the bar, and he says, Dale, Junior's out here peeing in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> and Dale said, well, probably every kid out there is doing that. And Kel said, yeah, but they ain't doing it from the high dive. <laughs> <laughs> 
right, so speaking of the Southern 500, 1985, all the attention is on Bill. Waddell, you and Kale, and I guess Lauren too, you try your best to screw up the, the story. Well, we had it won, no doubt about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Until the steering box, you know, the seal blew out of it, and then that was the end of that. And I remember, you know, NASCAR got a hold of me and said, get that car off the racetrack. So we come down pit road, and I raised the hood. I seen it, you know, what it was then. So caution car was coming, closed the hood, went back on the racetrack. NASCAR got me a hold of me again, trying to get me to get that race car off track, because I've seen what, what had happened. So I told him when he come to me, I said, turn the engine off. And I took my pocket knife and <coughs> cut the belt off, pulled the, the power steering belt. So it quit pumping oil and onto the headers, so that's where it was going. But that was a sickening thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had it won and then give it the bill. That, yeah. that, that was a race, too, that my dad really, really wanted to win. The Southern 500 was like the uh, – I mean, obviously Daytona was big, but to him to win the Southern 500, and he, you know, we felt like that was the opportunity to do it, and yeah. never we never won it. In my racing know. career, that was one of the worst times of my life. Did that, that that happen? Yeah. Now, I don't know if you like. And it'll give it away. If all the racers are like this, but if we didn't win or we fell out. I didn't want nobody to win. <laughs> Are you like that? I didn't want nobody to win. You know, I didn't want Bill to win that million. I wanted Kale to win the race yeah. so Bill wouldn't win the million. Oh, you know, yeah. you like well, – because you, you want to win it later. You it's want your like team to win. It's like turn there and just give Bill Elliott a million dollars. Yeah, because you know, he had him covered. Because of some stupid mechanic that wouldn't <laughs> listen to what I told him. Grind on the steering box. You don't? Don't grind, don't grind the steering box. I was 14 years old sitting on the back stretch in the box seats with my dad. And now, box seats, it was a, a rail in front of us and chicken wire. Mm-hmm. And we were, y'all were pitted on the back stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I was probably the only person there pulling for Bill Elliott. I mean, pulling for Kale Yarborough. I was not, you know, I mean, I love Bill Elliott, and, and, but I wanted Kale Yarborough to win that Southern 500. And when I saw that, you were going into one and – no, you were going into three and four at the time. And it, I thought you blew up. And you came – I was so disappointed. But he came back and finished second. And years later when I worked for him, I said, Kale, how hard was it to drive that car? He said, boy, I had to turn that car with both arms and both legs. <laughs> he told me, he said, it's like driving a train off the track. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I was in. You the one who's up spotting that day. And I said was, it yeah, that was my, actually my spotting. You know, I ended up being a cup spotter for 20 years, but that was my spotting debut. Waddell gave me a headset. You told me. Yeah. You gave me a headset. And, and when you spotted. The Southern for, 500? Yeah. Really? Yeah, and I literally. Got a this lot was, of faith in you. Well, that we didn't even have. You didn't go to a spotter stand. I was up. It was on, gradual spotters. You had to yeah. find your own place to yeah. spot. Yeah, yeah, I went to my. I went, I went up on a truck. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was our truck or wherever. And I remember saying. It blew up, and yeah. Kale said, it's still running. Yeah. And that's when you said. There was a pause there, and then he said, well, it's still running. It's still everybody running. Everybody thought oh, well, it the gauges are okay. Yeah, the gauges yeah. are okay. That's yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Everybody okay. thought it blew up. Everybody yeah. on yeah. pit road like, man, it yeah. blew up. Yeah. yeah. Bill Elliott yeah. should have finished fourth in that race. Yeah. Bill went out. Harry went out. Kale went out in front of him. It was yeah. like the fates. Yeah. Said, yeah, we're going to give it to him. Yeah, that happened mm-hmm. yeah. that day. We're going to give it to him. Million dollar bill. Yeah. There he still go. won. Kale still won five Southern 500s, and we won the last one with him in mm-hmm. the MC's car. That was a so, good one. Beat Richard Petty. That's true. Lauren, how old were you spotting? Uh, 20. 
Okay. I was 20 years old. And Waddell, you, I don't know what what happened that day. You just handed me the radio and you said, go. Well, I need said, somebody go. to spot and that was you. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you, and when you spot for kale, it was just like, you know, if there's a wreck somewhere or something, it wasn't like I was saying inside, outside, yeah, clear. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like no, that at all. That didn't come for years. Ter- yeah, for <laughs> later. But it's like, hey, there's a wreck in turn one. Watch out. You know, that type of thing. That's all I remember about You've done a good job. Well, I ended up doing it for 20 <laughs> years, so. That, and it's funny, that was my spotting debut, yeah. was that race. Back when we had steel bumpers, it wasn't no inside, outside. No. They drove around past when you put this package on the car, <clears throat> put the bumper on the ground, no bumpers on the cars. That's when everybody's running in packs everywhere. That's so right. back yeah. in them days, uh, I think we were the first ones. We put three or four guys or three guys around a road course. Right. Send them out in the car to go over at, at, at Sonoma. Oh, we have over here in Riverside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, Riverside. Yeah. Cause you can see them come by and you go outside, and then you'd be a minute or two before they come back around. Yeah. yeah. I hated road courses. <laughs> <laughs> I liked them. We want them. <laughs> I liked Daytona and Talladega. Yeah, you did. <laughs> you sure did. When Kale left MC Anderson, he was offered a lot of money to do a full season, and MC yep. really wanted to go after that championship. Yeah. Yep. But Kale said, "No, nah, I'm I'm just going to do a, a, a part time deal and, and spend more time with my family." And that's why he went to MC's to race part time. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. in '82 we ran 16 races and won four. Yeah. You know, so he he wasn't going back to full time. How important was it? for him to spend time with his family it was very important i remember him telling about the bi- his daughter's bicycles tires was flat and he said i thought we fit we you know why ain't you riding your bike and she said daddy my tires is flat and you said you was gonna fix them and he said that's when the, that's when it triggered him to my man my kids are growing up and i'm always gone i've got a four thousand acre farm and plenty of money why am i doing this full time and and uh i think it meant a lot well there you go. We won four or 16 races, and MC thought we could go out and win a championship. And he said, I've won championships. I've got a family I want to be with. Wow. So I think it was a, a big priority of his. You know, and I commend him for doing man. it. Yeah. Huh? He was definitely a family man. Definitely. Which I, was good. Yep. And he was afraid of Betty Joe. <laughs> he would tell you, he, he said, wasn't. what are you afraid of? He said, I'm afraid of Betty Joe. He, he wasn't afraid of snakes. He wasn't afraid of alligators. He wasn't afraid of crashing a plane. And uh, like I say, we, I remember flying, and, and with him, if there was a cloud, well, let's go over and fly through that cloud. That's what he Everybody else flew around him. <laughs> Kel flew straight. And when he'd get in these bad clouds, and, and his little old six-seater, you know, Piper, that plane was all of this, and Betty Joe would slap him in the back of the head, and call, she called him Daddy. Daddy, get us out of this, because I was sitting back here with Betty Joe. Daddy, get us out of this. Slap him in the head. I'm like, yeah, Daddy, get us out of this. I don't like this either. I'm looking for the throw-up back. <laughs> I've but, got a uh, Betty Joe story. They were tight now. You talk about two that were meant for each other, him and Betty Joe. Oh, yeah. They yeah. sure were. We, were. we ran the first Brickyard 494, and we were – you know, they got the grandstands behind the pits. And after a pit stop, we would throw the lug nuts into the – they were just clamoring for them. The fans, they wanted a lug nut. And I, I zinged one, and I hit Betty Joe in the side of the head. Oh, oh hello. She was sitting on the pit box. I mean, I didn't throw it real hard, but it hit her in the head. And I thought, oh, man, I'm done here at Kell Yarborough Motorsports. So after the race, uh, she was talking to me, and she said, Daddy, he hit me in the side of the head with a lug nut. And I said, I'm so sorry, Betty Joe. 
He goes, oh, she got a hard head. She put up with me all these years. <laughs> so, but he, he laughed about it, and, and we had a good time. He never, I never remember him using any vulgarity, a vulgar language. Mm-mm. I never remember him saying, he, he never worried about what everybody else was doing. He, he didn't even worry about his car. He just like, he I'll get in. He'd walk up and get in it. He didn't say, what have we done? What, you know, Rusty Wallace and, and Mark Martin and Daryl Walter, you had to have a two-hour session with them before they get in the car. And then a two-hour session when they get out. What can we do? What are they doing? You know, not Kale. Mm-mm. Kale got in that car and drove it and got out and didn't say oh, nothing. You never work with a driver. Do you work with him? Never. That's he right. Nobody even they broke the mold. place to him. That's right. He was amazing. He was amazing. How hard was it for him to ultimately give up driving? <clears throat> I think he hurt a lot. I think he had a, his neck was hurt a lot. Yeah, so he had a lot of aches he and pains. He had him. That really set him back. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, you know, he told me when I went in there to see him in the Ken Cure Center, he said that was the hardest he had ever hit. Mm-hmm. And he never really got over the limping after that. You know, that mm-hmm. that yeah. hurt him bad. And then he had that wreck at Texas down into turn one, and the thing turned right, blew a turn, hit the ball head on. He's had oh, some bad ones. Kill him. Yeah. I think it was a lot of that, too. Yeah. He, but he, you know, he didn't complain. He told me one time that he didn't sleep more than 10 minutes at a time. He would have pain in his shoulders and in his legs, and oh, fi- yeah. you know, lost a lot of feeling in his legs. But. Never heard him complain, and he always, when he showed up, he had those cowboy boots and that 1976 Winston Cup championship belt buckle and belt on, and never had a hair out of place. And uh, I was told a story that when he uh, had to get reading glasses, he thought that was the end of the world because people would see that he was vulnerable, mm. and he, he wasn't that superhero. He was a, he was just like everybody else, but uh, but yeah he. He took some hard licks, but he never had a relief driver. Hmm. What was Kale's attitude when he finally had to collude his team? Well, I mean, that, that year was, 99 was a pretty bad year because he'd sold a team about twice and guys couldn't wind up paying for it. And I remember Daytona 500, this, this new guy, Wayne Burdett, had came in and they said Kale wasn't coming. So I left his chair on the hauler. We had a big captain's chair for him that would sit on a sit on a pit box. That was before the mega boxes. And a guy come up to me and said, where's Kale's chair? I said, it's in the holler. Well, are you going to get it? I said, no, Kale's not coming. And he said, well, this is your new Kale. I said, no, that's, that, that's not Kale Yarborough. So, but I, I think with sponsorship trouble and, you know, Kale didn't want to spend his own money to race, and, and who does? Um you know, so it was it was pretty difficult for him, and and I saw him years later, and uh, he told me he says, you know, I I think about you guys all the time and how you tried to keep this team together, and everybody, you know, uh, did their part, and I mean, I had chances to go other places, at bigger places, but man, that was a legend. That was Kale Yarborough. That's my boyhood hero, and who gets to say that? And I, so I stayed until he closed the doors, and. Uh, it was a pretty, pretty sad day, and, and you know we only won one race while uh, during that the time he started Kelly Yarborough Motorsports till he ended. But I'm very proud that we were a part of bringing him that win, 
And when we did win in 97 at Daytona in the 400, you know, we really didn't celebrate. I mean, we, we jumped around and, and went to victory lane, but, you know, Jimmy Cox is back there pulling on the spoiler going, let's go to Tech, boys. And Kale stops him and says, where you got to be, the beach? <laughs> and we uh, – but it wasn't long till we had to go through Tech and deal with that. And Kale and Tony Fur and John Andretti actually sprayed the champagne to the fans through the fence because we were gone. And we just figured, well, hey, we have broke the ice – this is going to start something, and, and we're going to go to victory lane a lot with Kel Yarborough, and that just didn't happen. What does it mean to you personally to know that you were a part of Kel Yarborough's final win? Well, I mean, it, it, it means a whole lot to me now. Um, I always wanted to win the Daytona 500, and we had a really good shot in 97. Um, but John had a flat tire during the race. He thought he broke an axle. So he turns and goes in the garage, and Spotter says, you got a right, flat right rear tire. And most of the crew was back in the, back in the garage, and uh, there was only about four of us on pit road, and we changed that tire. And, you know, he, I think he finished a couple laps down and, um, you know, would, would have liked to have given him the Daytona 500. And I, I kind of – I was like, well, this is the 400. We won the 400. But it means a lot more to me now that we were with John Andretti's first win, and it was Kale Yarborough Motorsports or Kale Yarborough's last win. Um, it, it means a ton to me now. Well, listen, we could sit here and talk about Kale for hours and hours, but just to tie things up, how would each of you like for Kale to be remembered? I will say he's the toughest race car driver I ever got the privilege to work for or watch. I mean, David Pearson was tough. Richard Petty was tough. But this guy went to another level. And I also think I want to go back to how I thought he was laser-focused. He didn't worry about anything around him. He worried about what he had to do. He supported his race team and never complained. Now, that's something right there, a driver that, you know, he didn't complain. He got in there and did his job, and he took care of his family. Uh, and he liked to sing some music. <laughs> I was very fortunate about two months ago. Uh, I was down at the South Carolina 400 at, at Florence Motor Speedway, and I'm friends with uh, two of Kale's daughters, and I sent Ke his middle daughter, Kelly, a text. And I said, hey, I'm in Florence. And she said, hey, why don't you come over tomorrow at 3 o'clock? So this was really about two months ago, first of November. So I got to spend about an hour and a half with Kale. Um, and he was, he was great. I mean, he, he, was, in, he was sitting in a, in a chair in a kind of a, kind of a lazy boy, had, had his feet up and we sat there and talked. And a really funny story he told me was, and, um, you know, so Kale was a football player and he was, he was actually at Clemson. He went to Clemson and something happened to where he told me the story, he went home, and he and he and he didn't go back. He went for a race. He, That's he, right. He, he went wanted, for a race. There was a race, and he That's told right. the coach that I want to. That's I right. got to go run this race, and I'll be back. That's right. We didn't come back. When the coach told him to pack your bags, if you go to that race, don't come back. That's right. And then the coach ends up calling Kale and saying. Hey, come on back. Kale said, you told me not to come back. He said, I'm Frank making Howard. a race and for a living. And that coach used to come to the race. He did. And that's funny. He t So Kale told me that story two months ago. And 
And he goes, yeah. He said it was one of the – I think it was a – he came to a Talladega race. Mm-hmm. And Kale and he won. Said, and Kale won it. It was – which is either 84 or 85, driving for the 28. And he said that that old coach said, well, I guess I'd have to admit I was probably wrong about that. Yeah, he said, I ain't never wrong, but yeah. that's, I'm going to tell you right now, I was wrong about you. Kale. I was wrong about that. Kale said, I'm going to drive for a living. I ain't going to play football that's for a that, living. That's exactly right. Yeah. So I thought that was a pretty good story. And, and literally that story was – Kale told me that story two months ago. Yeah. And um, awesome. I, I was very fortunate to get to spend that time with him, you know, this close to him passing away. Yes, you were. So that's how I'm going to remember him. Yeah. Well, I'd like to tell this story. Um, and th- this kind of sums up who Kale was to me. In 1997, we sat on a pole at Talladega, and um, it poured down rain, poured down rain. And there's no stopping this rain. And Kale was like, I am ready to go. And my dad said, well, I do. I'm, I'm ready to go, too. He says, Kale said, will you give me a ride to the airport? I said, yeah. So my dad and Jim Hunter, who was president of Darlington at the time, and Kale's pilot. So they drive out of the garage, and it was dead stop, traffic everywhere. Kale said, hold on a minute. He took an he took a unopened umbrella and got out and he started pointing that umbrella at cars and they all he said they all stopped because they saw man that's Kale Yarborough <laughs> and he would he would wave my dad through with that umbrella and they'd move up and move up until finally they got out of there my dad looked at Kale and he said man that's, it sure is good to be well liked and well known and Jim Hunter was in the back seat said yeah if that'd been me with that umbrella they'd have took it from me and stuck it up my ass <laughs> <laughs> So, at Talladega. <laughs> at, at, at Talladega. But he commanded a pre- – he had a, this presence about him. And he was like the commander when he, he showed up. He knew how to use his strengths. Oh, yeah. And he was uh, – you never told him no. If he, But he never asked you to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. Right. But, you know, him pointing that umbrella, and that's how he ran his ship. Um, I know we didn't have a whole lot of success, but uh, – it's not for lack of trying for, from Kale Yarborough because he did everything he could to keep us going. And he was a sponsor's dream. That's where this whole – Lauren and I have argued with people on the Internet forever about this show car from Hardy's mm-hmm. winning the race. And then we have to type the same thing every time that it wasn't a show car. And um, But Kale was like, hey, I guess we got to go down to the Hardy's and get us a show car. Mm-hmm. That was, well, he didn't know one car from the other. Right. What else tell you that? No. He didn't know one car from the other. Right. He just wanted to get in. He it. just right. Yeah. He 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 knew where that steering wheel and that then that throttle was. He didn't know where that was. And he would give you ten extra horsepower just him behind the wheel. Oh yeah. No doubt about oh that. yeah. I remember him getting in the race car. Which car am I in today? Yeah. Exactly. That's how much he cares. I'll never forget watching him at Bristol. It's like swatting flies. Oh, That's yeah. how he'd drive a race car, yeah. just like swatting flies. Yeah. Everybody else, you know, Gail was driving that car, man. Mm-hmm. Chris Carrier, who, my crew chief of the 75 truck, he asked Kale one day, he said, 1976, he said, I, I was 16 years old on the backstretch, and you were lapping Dick Brooks for the seventh time <laughs> with about 10 laps to go. He said, Brooks was all laid over in the seat, and he said, he said back then you could look in the windshield and see the driver. Mm-hmm. He said, and Kale was just sawing on that wheel, and he asked Kelly, he says, didn't somebody not tell you that you were, you know, 
seven, you know, so you're seven, you're seven laps ahead and there's less than 10 laps to go. He said, it didn't matter. And that, that was Kel Yarborough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. He was going to the front and he was going to stay there. He actually, I remember him saying one time to my dad that it, it was easier to drive the car a hundred percent than try to drive it 90 percent yeah don't right. hold back yeah. Oh, yeah like his rhythm would he'd be more in rhythm with the car driving it hard than driving it easy i remember him saying that i remember at charlotte one time really like driving the car in a corner so deep you know and y'all were struggling with something and dad said kale you can't run wide open <laughs> and he looked at my dad and he said i might <laughs> so, <laughs> he goes, i might so well, it was, it was 100%, 100% of the time with him. Hello, Scene Vault fans. This is Brian from Speedway Screens. And if you're enough of a NASCAR historian to be listening to this podcast, there's a good chance a piece of the past you've been on the hunt for is in my shop. I'm constantly on the hunt for apparel and collectibles from all genres and eras of motorsports. So whether it be cup cars, dirt modifieds, dragsters, or monster trucks, I've probably got something for you. Check out my inventory at speedwaytsj.etsy.com and be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Speedway Screens for the newest items as soon as they drop and for a peek at what I keep for my own collection. As a special thank you to listeners of this show, just enter scene at checkout for 10% off. Speedwaytsj.etsy.com. That's speedwaytsj.etsy.com. This podcast has been brought to our listeners by Las Vegas Motor Speedway, America's racing showplace. Kale, this episode was for you, bud. Rest in peace.